Fresh off of Survivor Series weekend, my guest this week on the podcast, none other than Luke Hawks. Happy Monday coming at you straight from Chicago. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Here we go. Not Sam Wrestling, Monday edition. Just exactly what you need to start your week. You know Not Sam Wrestling comes out every Monday now. So welcome. Hopefully you're subscribed. Hopefully you enjoy Thursday, Not Sam Thursday. A few days ago leading up to Survivor Series. We are now just after Survivor Series 2019. Coming at you from Chicago in the shadow of of the old Rosemont Horizon, the All-State Arena. Of course, I got to be there. I was part of the kickoff show, not only for Survivor Series this weekend, but I was also part of the TakeOver pre-show that went down, both at the All-State Arena. Amazing building. You saw it a little bit. If you look, and I wish they had uh, showed it a little more, just because it looks so cool, and it makes the building so unique. But if you go back and you look at Shinsuke Nakamura's entrance, at Survivor Series, when they go to that long shot and you can see the roof of the building, it's one of the last arenas left in the United States. It has a wooden roof, so it's like a domed, it's not a dome, but it's domed in the sense that it's, there's a curvature to it, and it's a wooden roof, and that's why it's just everything feels different, sounds different, and looks way different, and I just think it's so cool, so super cool to be able to participate in a couple more shows in that building. Not the first time that I've been in that building, but it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, It was really interesting. One of the first things that happened to me, so I get here on Friday night, you know, grab a bite to eat, go to sleep, wake up Saturday morning, and pretty much first thing, head on over to the Allstate Arena for the takeover, you know, because it's going to be a big day and you get everything together and, and so on and so forth. The first thing that I hear as I'm walking down the hall, now there's a long hall with a big steep ramp in the back of the Allstate Arena that leads to catering. Like you have to go, you literally have to walk up a hill to get to the area where catering is. And as I'm going down that long hallway towards the very tall, long hill, I just hear behind me, it's Priest. And I turn around, and there is Damien Priest, a.k.a. and F.k.a. Damien Archer. Um, He had heard about the podcast on Thursday. Uh, I did. So, dude, look, what can I tell you? I'm the last professional broadcaster. You heard it. I'm Scoops Roberts, hack wrestling journalist. I call myself Scoop Roberts on the NXT TakeOver pre-show. So that's one of those things that you can never take away from me. But look, at the end of the day, it's Thursday. I'm recording this podcast. Let me tell you, Thursday, I had done the morning show, obviously, on SiriusXM. Then on the same Thursday, I had just taped a two-hour podcast with Wade Keller talking about Survivor Series and TakeOver War Games. Then it was time to record Thursday, Not Sam Thursday. I'm exhausted as it is. I'm thinking about the fact that, okay, I got to make sure I got everything together tomorrow and make sure mentally I'm prepared to do these pre-shows. And at the same time, I'm doing this podcast, and I did a whole bit about the Archer of Infamy, and I don't exactly understand what that means. And within the process of doing that bit, somehow 
Damian Priest morphs into Damian Archer. Honestly, the Archer of Infamy, Damian Priest, it sounds, it flows off the tongue better if you just say Damian Archer. And you get everything in that way, but that's clearly not his name, and he clearly recognized that. He said he was going to let me slide because I spelled Damian right on Twitter. Um, there's no E, there's an A, two A's in that, Damian. So I guess all's well that ends well, but it was extremely embarrassing, and it was a great way to find out there's a lot of you listening because a lot of people continue to chime in with corrections to his name. Uh, however, I wish that I had that kind of uh, uh, notification. I wish I had that kind of confirmation that we had a large listener base through positive comments. Like if, if, if I got as many, hey, man, great show this week. Uh, I liked when you talked about this as I did Hey, idiot, who's Damien Archer? Last professional broadcaster. More like last professional douche. Then I would know, okay, we're on the right track. But, you know, when people have nice things to say, they just think them. They just go, oh, man, I like that podcast. But I'm not going to tell them because that'd be weird. But if they go, He's, he, he misspoke, and then he did it over and over and over again. I better let him know I heard. So I appreciate everybody that let me know that you heard. Uh, and I want you to know that thank you for tagging Damian Priest in your tweets, letting me know that you heard because he also found out that you heard. Uh, I thought he had a great weekend. Like I said on the podcast on Thursday, if it were up to me, it would have been an even better weekend for him. But at the end of the day, a couple of people from NXT – over the course of the last month, and really this weekend, became so much bigger stars. Let's list them. Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley, I mean, went from, look, I've been a fan of Rhea Ripley for a long time. I don't, I said on the kickoff that she's got an ego, and she does have a huge ego, but I've been a fan of hers for a long time. When people were asking me, well, if Shayna Baszler and Bianca Belair is not a takeover-worthy match, then who is somebody that's a takeover-worthy match? I mean, months and months and months ago, I was saying Rhea Ripley is the one to watch. Rhea Ripley versus Shayna Baszler is the match that I want to see. And we're finally at this point in November 2019 where Rhea Ripley has entered that conversation of mainstream WWE female talent. Shayna Baszler also became a much bigger star over the weekend, specifically not just because of what she was, what she did in the War Games. Now, obviously, she did not win the War Games match. Rhea Ripley did. The War Games match benefited Rhea more than it did Shayna. But being a team captain in the first ever female War Games match and the match being as good as it was does help Shayna Baszler. What really helped Shayna Baszler is the fact that she tapped out Bailey and won the triple threat women's match. I'm not upset that at the end of the day, Becky was the one with her hands in the air at the end of that pay-per-view. I mean, you know, I kind of knew that if you're going to end the pay-per-view with that triple threat women's match and you don't have a surprise in store for everybody, then your ending of the pay-per-view has to be Becky Lynch celebrating. And I think they did it in a really smart way. You know, I think that if Becky Lynch had won the match, then they would run the risk of people booing because... They felt like she was being shoved down our throats. The fact that they had Shayna actually win and Becky still get to celebrate, you almost get the best of both worlds there. So I think it was smart, but I also think 
Bailey's going to have to go on damage control right now. We need to do the Bailey versus Sasha Banks rivalry stat because there is nothing. I said on the Survivor Series kickoff that Bailey's not even the top female on SmackDown, and she is not. Sasha Banks is. Uh, who else? Uh, obviously, uh, Damian Priest, in my opinion, is a bigger star uh, after this week. Uh, same thing could be said about Pete Dunne, although I think he was already on the way. Adam Cole and the entire Undisputed Era. Hugely beneficial weekend for all of them. Hugely, especially Adam Cole. I mean, clearly, the WWE is very high on the future prospects of Adam Cole. And, finally, and Ciampa too, by the way, but we could also kind of predict that. Like, oh, who on NXT do we think, you know, this would benefit most? Adam Cole and Ciampa would be the obvious ones. They're the two top guys in the company. The one that I think that most of us didn't expect and the one that really came out shining brightly after Survivor Series is Keith Lee. If you ask me, I think that the the men's five-on-five-on-five Survivor Series match should have been the last match on the show instead of the women's match. And I think ending the show with Keith Lee and Roman Reigns shaking hands... You know, Keith Lee did take a pin from Roman Reigns, but he put up a hard fight, and he pinned Seth Rollins. That's a big, big deal. So I would say huge, huge plus. If we're following a stock market, oh, my God, I hope you invested in Keith Lee before this weekend because after this weekend, he's too expensive for any of us to afford. I'm a little upset that... uh, Corey Graves, I I was doing really good with Internet Heat this week. JBL came to me after the Survivor Series kickoff show, and he said, I can't believe it, Sam. I've never been in a scenario where the person next to me is more hated than I am. You know, I think he said something to the effect on the air, but that was not for the air. That was real life. He couldn't believe it. I was having a great weekend. I had all the heat in the world. Then Corey Graves has to steal it from me. Not thrilled about that, but it is what it is. Um, and I uh, I enjoyed the new format of the NXT pre-shows. Having no desk there, having Charlie, myself, and stupid Pat McAfee uh, just standing on the stage, giving our opinions. I could have done without Pat's uh, ridiculousness at the end of the show, but what are you going to do? That's Pat McAfee being Pat McAfee, I suppose. But I thought it was good. I thought it felt different. I thought it felt alive. And I loved the fact that the mic was on for the audience to hear, that the audience could hear what we were saying. So I thought that was great. It was, it was a great weekend. It was a lot of fun, as these weekends always are. Uh, and I think that we'll get more into the specifics of Survivor Series and TakeOver War Games um, when we get into uh, Thursday, Not Sam Thursday. Because the thing about these Survivor Series, I mean, you remember last year, I mean, last year, for whatever reason, they didn't count the pre-show matches at all. And Raw won over SmackDown with a clean sweep. But it didn't really mean anything, ultimately. So we'll see if these results mean anything. I think storyline-wise, a couple of things progressed further. Um, you know, I think that what I said about Seth Rollins on the Survivor Series kickoff ended up being 100% correct. You heard Kevin Owens say, Team Raw desperately needs me, showing he has no faith in Seth Rollins. You saw Seth Rollins get pinned by Keith Lee. I mean, 
clearly the reason that Team SmackDown, and Team SmackDown was not unified. You had Baron Corbin and Roman Reigns fighting with each other the whole time. So the fact that they still were able to win and Raw still came in third place and then lost completely four to two to one, you know, I would say that whoever is in charge as a locker room leader, whoever is, in, whoever is team captain of Monday Night Raw at Survivor Series, we might need to figure out how we determine who's the number one guy because clearly we're not being led to victory if we are on Monday Night Raw. Uh, let's get into this week's interview. And like I said, I think I said, I should have said if I didn't, we're not going to do a state of wrestling this week. Uh, we're going to save it. I've got an extra long interview for you, and I think that we'll be able to uh, talk more about this stuff in proper context of where it lands after Raw and NXT. So that's when we'll do it on Thursday, not same Thursday this week. But in the meantime, uh, you know, I'm always very, very interested in stories of guys who make a living in wrestling outside of the mainstream. One of my favorite interviews that we did this year was with Matt Tremont, who is not the most famous guy in the world, who has never had a contract with WWE, with Ring of Honor, with Impact, with AEW, but he's figured out how to do it himself. He's DIY'd himself into a very nice living as a professional wrestler. And this guy that we have on the podcast is no different. This guy's name is Luke Hawks. Luke Hawks is a independent wrestler out of uh, New Orleans, but not only is he a wrestler, he's also a trainer. He has his own school. He's also a promoter. He has his own shows that he puts on. And the last show that he did, they packed like 2,000 people or something into the building. It just doesn't really get talked about, I think, because it happens outside of New York. Um, he's been wrestling for something like 20 years. He now, and he's in like, I mean, amazing shape. He does not look like a guy who's been wrestling for 20 years. You know, he's, he's, he's a power lifter in his downtime. He's chiseled out of granite, this guy. And he's uh, he's got a tag team with his son. His son and he are a legit tag team, I believe, in Booker T's Reality of Wrestling promotion. So he's also, by the way, found a second career as a stuntman and actor. He's been in a ton of action movies. He has bit parts. I think The Rock killed him in, in whatever Fast and the Furious movie where The Rock's in jail. He tries to kill The Rock and ends up getting stabbed for doing it, which is a dream that a lot, a lot of us have, and Luke Hawks has been able to live it. Um, I met Luke Hawks, I don't know, years ago at this point, and we had talked about doing a podcast, and he came up to me and he was like, you know, hey, man, I got all this stuff going on in New Orleans, and we don't get enough coverage based on what we're doing. I love your podcast. I would love to do your show. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And it was one of those, like, we'll figure it out when we figure it out. And because we are miles and miles and miles apart, it just never came to be until one day I signed on to my social media and I was getting comments on Instagram. I was getting comments on Twitter saying, hey, we want Luke Hawks on the show. We want Luke Hawks on the show. We want Luke Hawks on the show. And I was like, look, I know that this is Luke Hawks doing it, but I respect it, man. I said, what a hustler. This is a guy who knows how to make stuff happen. And I think there's a lot we can learn 
from guys like that. So I wanted to sit down with Luke Hawks, and I wanted to talk to him about his early days, getting into the business. You know, he, he, had, he had bright prospects when he was coming up. He wrestled for a promotion called XPW, which was a really big independent promotion that took over right after ECW. It was Los Angeles-based. They had DVDs in stores, but they did a lot of deathmatch wrestling. It went, you know, the storytelling was garbage compared to ECW. But they tried to take that audience, and they really made a run for it. He wrestled for, uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, whatever the promotion that MTV did. I'm blanking on it, and I don't want to say the wrong thing because you'll all bust my balls for it on the Internet. But uh, MTV in like the early 2000s, did one season, Wrestling Society X, and I didn't even look that up. I'm in a hotel room right now. Wrestling Society X, they did one season of it, and they put a whole bunch of money into it and everything, and it just never went anywhere, but he did that. You know, there were all these little things that came up. Uh, so I wanted to get into his story, and, you know, I wanted to kind of take the life lessons that he can give us and take a listen to him. So you're going to love this, I think, Really, really interesting guy. Just a great wrestling story. And that's one of the things this podcast is about, great wrestling stories. So here he is, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on Not Sam Wrestling in the Not Sam studio, this is Luke Hawks. The Not Sam Wrestling interview. So here with me is a man who has been wrestling for over 20 years professionally. And to me, I feel like, and I've talked to other people about this, one of the, the singular and purest goal you can have in wrestling is to be able to make a living in the wrestling business. And I feel like you're a guy who has excelled at that, at figuring out how one can do that. He has huge freaking arms. Huge. Huge. Massive. Massive arms. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Luke Hawks. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here in the studio, man. Nah, man, it's a pleasure. I've been trying to get on for uh, ever now, chasing you down. You know, I was basically going to kidnap you if it, if you didn't have me on. So. I appreciate it, because we'd spoken a couple times, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And it wasn't one of those blow-off things. It was just like, yeah, let's do it. And then no, you're in I, New Orleans, I'm in New right, York. Right, so it's difficult. And then, uh, I mean, your schedule has been slammed lately. That's... Right. But then, all of a sudden, there was an organized effort. There was. And I started getting all these messages on Twitter that, and on Instagram, and I was like, you know what? Jim Nielsen started that. Really? Yeah, Jim Nielsen started it. He sent out the first tweet. And I was like, <laughs> Sam hates me. He'll never have me on. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. And then, yeah, and then, and then when the tweets and Instagram started coming in, I was like, you know what? Whether it's legit or not, you've earned it. No, <laughs> like, I, like this. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I've been looking forward to it. So I'm, I'm, I'm Please, a big I appreciate fan. It. Big fan. So I've always followed your stuff. Obviously, I follow the uh, Sirius Radio show as well. Oh, my gosh. I told you I keep uh, satellite radio because of that. <laughs> Them and Ellis. But nah, I appreciate it, man. So I've been looking forward to coming on. You always do great work. And your stuff is just boom. So this is like big time for me. I, well, this is big time for me. Because to me, I mean, you are a guy who like, I mean, your story is awesome and I feel like not enough people are aware of it and I don't know honestly I think it's partly geographic I think that there's it's this a huge part yeah yeah I think that you're you're from Louisiana right and so we don't get a lot of love down there uh, yeah like Louisiana is hey, not a hotbed only time we get a lot of love 
is when WrestleMania comes. Everybody, Twice. Everybody uses me up from a wrestling license. And then, <laughs> then they completely forget about me after that. Is that how it goes? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, who do we know who's got a wrestling license That's in New it. Orleans? So there's this deal with the Louisiana Athletic Commission. They won't license out-of-state out competitors. Not not wrestlers, but like companies. Sure. Of, like, oh, WWE. I see. So um, every year they, they come, you know, Obviously, these other companies, the, the independent companies want to run these big shows and they want to follow Mania around. Yeah. So they have to use a license. So every time they come, you know, my, my deal is I never ask for really any money. I just want to, I want to see wrestling thrive. So I ask these guys, hey, scratch my back. I scratch you. I'll let y'all use my license, mm -hmm. but use a few of my guys and give them an opportunity outside of Louisiana down the line and then that kind of seems to fall out because <laughs> they all use the license and then you never hear from them again or if you do hit them up they go oh man we're just so booked up right now and oh. it's just like oh yeah I, I appreciate it yeah 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 i understand that go screw yourself <laughs> so how does that how does that work do you get i mean is, is a promoter's license like can you just loan it so out? you can but the, here's the thing is like i'm responsible for everything and i got a chance of losing everything i have on top of which is difficult right because oh meaning you work so hard yeah you work so hard to build this brand we've been around eight years we actually just had our eight-year anniversary show last week that drew over 2200 people that's and we crazy. ran that at arena the punch train center which is a massive arena uh if you've seen the wnw shows they ran there uh-huh um during mania weekend so that was the same arenas they ran in but but we you know we did it on a very large scale 2200 people 2200 a little over 2200 and and it, they were loud they were rowdy and our fans are great man and it's like i think one of those geographic things like you said is i didn't really see the internet explode over that or get a lot of love off of that and you know not that you, you i'm not doing this to get my back padded but i would like some recognition and i like to get my guys out there more because we have so so good of talent guys that, that that don't get any credit we got guys like jay spade buku dow matt lancey uh danny flamingo and it, it, there's a list of a mile long right yeah and, and we got new students coming out but just because they're not in this hyped up area where they're working and they're getting these internet reporters reporting on them they're not getting any love and it, as, a, as a coach for me it drives me crazy because i know these guys can go hang you could put this guy with the top guy at ring on and you put matt lancey you put jay spade with the top guy at Ring Honor, but the top guy would evolve, top guy at this company, that company. And it's tough because when you're a young guy, you're not making any money, so it's not like you could just pack up, go to New York for the weekend, right. wrestle a couple shows. Like, it doesn't work that way, does right. it? Right. No, yeah. I mean, my guys are willing to do that, mm -hmm. but they can't just get, get in a car and drive here. You know? Yeah. So, excuse me. Um, but yeah, that's what makes it difficult. So, we're, we're in this area. We work a lot with uh, in Texas. Mm -hmm. We work with Reality of Wrestling. Actually, me and my son are a tag team, Hawks Harry. We're the reality of wrestling tag team champions right now for Booker T. Yeah, of course. Which is cool because, uh, you know, we're really the only father-son tag team on the scene. And we're doing something very unique. You know, they've had others in the past. And one thing I like is like the Armstrongs. I always like, you know, Brad Armstrong and uh, Bullet Bob tagging. But, you know, that was always like a specialty. It was, it was a novelty. Sure. You know, like it would be built up to that. We're a full-time father-son tag team. Yeah. And my son is a three-time state champion amateur wrestler. Uh, Greco-Roman freestyle, um, two-time state uh, Louisiana state uh, mem team member. Uh, credentials a mile long. Was there so, any part of you with your son that thought about getting him involved in MMA with like a background like that in amateur wrestling? Um, or was it like you know, or was it just what do you want to do? It was really he kind of fell into wrestling. Yeah. So he and he's doing movies now as well as like I am. 
So, uh, he so he's going. your competition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's cool. It's yeah, cool because yeah. we get to work on a lot of stuff together. Uh, he's worked on like three movies in the past month and a half. That's crazy. As a stuntman, and he's done some some stunts and some some acting. Now, uh, it just happened to fall in his lap because, as a kid, I was always like you said, twenty years, right? And I, mm-hmm. I never signed a major contract. Never had this like big deal. I signed with MTV, did that MTV deal, the WSX stuff back. Wrestling in the day. Society X, yeah, and, yeah, had, yeah, yeah. and had a couple offers for stuff that I just I didn't think was good for me. Hmm. So, uh, so I've always stuck on my own. I found a way to be fortunate enough to make a living out of it yeah then, that's like that's what's interesting to me we talked to matt tremont about it like guys who maybe haven't gotten the shot right at at getting a run in a major contracted promotion but still have figured out a way where this is right this is what i do and, this and is my life for me what you when i think about it i think it's i mean i'm not gonna lie i've had like i said i've had some opportunities i just don't think they were the right opportunities for me because i didn't like what was being offered do you still Um, do you think back at any opportunities that you got and think to yourself like oh you know what at the time i was being a little hard-headed no not at all because um i was already doing extremely well and and by what i mean like not to put finances out there but the contracts they were offering I was making more in residuals off of films. Right. So, and so, I have health insurance and I don't have to move and I don't have to do this and I can pick and choose my wrestling. So, so keeping your plate clean allows you to go like, no, I can wrestle and I can also do this stuff. So let's, I mean, let's talk about it. Let's, so you started, you know, 20, a little over 20 years ago. 1999. Yeah. And you're, you're, and I was looking at it, you're trained by Vic Grimes. Your first big spot is in xpw right you also wrestle for the uh ecw reunion thing that right, was, was almost crap. yeah 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 it was it was poorly ran but my question is were you a big ecw Huge. fan and in your head are you going because i think that that happened like right around that time well, 1999 i feel like there was a whole new young generation that the goal became i want to wrestle for ecw and when ECW shut its doors, I feel like guys like you in that very short period of time are going, wait, that was the plan. Right. No, 100%. Um, ECW was my mecca. That was my everything. Yeah. And I actually just told my girlfriend this uh, on the flight up here. So, because she has no idea about wrestling and stuff like that. So I'm kind of breaking her in, breaking her in on the stories and the travel and how everything breaks down. Yeah. Well, I told her my goal was after high school, I was going to move to Philadelphia. There was a guy who worked for ECW named Rob Feinstein on Dara Of course. I was always cool with Rob. I, I was cool with everybody in ECW. So mm-hmm. ECW used to come to Louisiana. I helped put the ring up. I sold videos. I sold T-shirts for him. I did all and that stuff. And how did you, did you just? I just walked in one day. Yeah. Uh, the very first time they came. Well, the second time they came, actually. The second time they came, uh, I seen Tommy Dreamer outside. He said, hey, are you guys... I think he asked us if we wanted to get in the show free or if we wanted some free shirts, if we were willing to help out. And I was like, hell yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So, I would have helped out for no shirts. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would have did it and then paid you. <laughs> so, Can I talk to you, Tommy? Yeah. Then yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I started working with those guys. And, um, you know, and like I said, I, w- I, was, I was still in high school. But my goal was to f- graduate high school, move to Philadelphia. How often did they come to Louisiana? Probably at least twice a year. Wow. So, I mean, even it, that's crazy when you think about it. What ECW was—the fact that this Philly indie got so big, it was coming to Louisiana twice a year. Like right. that's a big and deal. And they did a loop. They did a loop in the south. They would go 
uh, from they do like Lafayette, Louisiana, or Baton Rouge. New Orleans another night, and then like Pensacola, Florida, mm-hmm. the last night, something like that. And I would go to all the shows. You would, yeah. So and I would travel with them, and I would do the whole, you know whatever. So you were setting up the ring, you were selling tapes, you were just whatever, yeah, just whatever you needed because you know you just wanted to be a part. And sure. that's how I met Vic Grimes. Uh huh. So I pestered the hell out of Vic Grimes, got his phone number. How was I was why was Vic Grimes the guy that you? Uh... I think pestered. It, I think it was because he showed me like the most attention. Everybody, for the most part, was cool. Yeah, uh, Tommy was always cool with me. Mm-hmm. Taz was really nice. Um, they, they, so, and I, I literally met everybody, and I would hang out with everybody. And there was a couple guys who were jerks, but you know, because I was a fan, right? I, I really wasn't supposed to be around, and, it, right. and they still had the kayfabe and everything. Yeah, and, and it was ECW was the badass, like, right? Yeah. So they'd be like, some guys would be like, "Well, why is this kid in the dressing room? Why mm-hmm. is this kid here with the, you know?" I'm surprised Taz was even nice. Not because I mean he's a great dude. I know him now, but like, I you would hear stories about him trying to maintain that character, right? Right. right. So, but he was always a gentleman to me. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so I started, like I said, I started working with him. And then Ro- Vic was the nicest to me. So Vic, like, literally sat there and talked to me and talked to me and talked to me and talked to me. So there became that kind of attachment. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me get your phone number. Oh, let me let me try and help you get bookings in Louisiana. Let me do this. Let me do that. So, oh, so you're a kid, so, and you're like trying to help him get bookings at other promotions. Yeah. So you just were good at talking, weren't you? Well, it was my life. Yeah. So it was my life. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It was like everything in my life revolved around wrestling. And if you know my backstory, we don't have to get into the whole thing today. But you know, I, I grew up in a boys' home. I got adopted. Like my yeah. mom was a bad drug addict. Like it was this. I have this terrible story that takes forever to tell. But this is your escape. But but wrestling was my escape. When yeah. wrestling was on, nothing else. Look, look, everything else could be going on fire around me. Right. And it just didn't matter. So it's another reason why you wanted to not just go to ECW shows, but do whatever they would let you do because that's the world you want to be in, not the world that you're stuck in in real life. Correct. So yeah, that's yeah. when I, you know, my goal was to after high school go there. Excuse me. I keep bourbon. These damn Red Bulls. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's good. It's mind vitalization. But it makes you gassy too. Exactly. So you know <laughs> you can't have everything. So I was like, uh, so Rob was like, Rob Feinstein told me, oh well, he our video was booming. They had stores in all these malls up here and stuff. Oh like, yeah, I remember. I was like, well, he helped with all the international talent with hotels. Yeah, and, I was and making all the RF video bootlegs and selling them oh. myself. <laughs> <laughs> so Rob would Rob would always talk to me. Rob said, when you, when you're ready to come to Philadelphia, let me know. I'll get you a job with my company. And I'll hook you up with an apartment because I got all the apartment hookups from all the international guys. Mm-hmm. So I was like, cool. So I graduated, had a little money saved. My son was one at this point. Oh, wow. Because yeah, I had my son my, my sophomore year in high school. Wow. So, uh, and I said, well, I'm going to move to Philadelphia. Did that also make there. you think, like, I need a plan. Like, I'm going to finish high school. Well, but was, there's no, like, ah, what am I going to do? Like, I need a plan. Was, I my, need to make money. I need to raise. I got a kid yeah, to raise. Yeah, of course. But yeah. my, my plan was to graduate go to wrestling school because I was training with some turds in Louisiana mm-hmm. and I mean turds because like, that's all they had there and there's still a ton of them there and all yeah. in surrounding areas uh-huh. but it was all they had right. but I knew in my mind that I had to break that like, like that wasn't what they were doing wasn't right that wasn't you know there was no value to it and it was really a bunch of idiots mm-hmm. so I, I knew that I had to get out of there so I called Rob told him he said okay when do you plan on coming up here Told him a date. Okay, cool. Well, call me when you leave. I call him, set a date. That Monday I call him. Doesn't answer. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Monday he answers. I'm sorry. Yeah, Monday, oh, okay. Tell him I'm on my way. Yeah. Drive up to Philadelphia. Get up there the first day. Doesn't answer. <laughs> Second day. This is like the most wrestling thing oh, ever, yeah, by so, the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I get a hotel. 
keep in mind, I'm young, right? I, right. I, I and you're no trying to go there to make money, yeah. not to like buy money to spend money on a hotel. I got like two grand saved. I, yeah. I saved up a grand, and my adopted dad gave me a thousand dollars too. Okay. So, uh, I said, day two, no answer. Hotel again, hundred bucks, right? Boom. Right there, day, that ten percent yeah. of your money. Day Boom. three, I'm freaking out. Yeah. No answer, and uh, I get in touch touch with Doug Gentry. Who used yeah, to work yeah. for our video? Uh-huh. Rob's best friend. Uh-huh. So I say, man, I tell Doug what's going on. He, Doug gets pissed because I was cool with all those guys. Uh-huh. Doug's like, this MFR is at uh, this place right now. Call him on this number. He will pick up the phone. He, <laughs> so I call. Rob picks up the phone. He's in total shock because he doesn't know how I got the number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he goes, oh, are you here? And I'm like, yeah. Said, <laughs> are you here? Yeah. I said, dude, I've been calling you for three days. He, he, he knows what he was doing. He was ignoring me. Uh-huh. So I. Um, <laughs> I said, okay, when can I start the job? And he goes, oh, man, the job I was going to give you, the guy's not quitting anymore, so you're just going to have to find a job. And I'm like, all right. I said, well, I spent three nights in a hotel, and my money's burning really fast. Yeah. What about the apartments? And his exact words were, there's tons of apartments out here. Just go find one. <laughs> Bruh. I got no credit. <laughs> I know absolutely nobody in Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, everybody's spread out, and I'm I'm – I, I'm crying. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm disappointed. I'm like, man, I'm gonna fail. But I was like, I'm not gonna fail. I, yeah. Like there was no turning back in me, and I didn't know what to do. I mean, look, I'm sh- I'm also sure that's where your survival instincts kick in, and the fact that you you were the opposite of coddled growing up, dude. I was yeah. So you've been in survival mode I, from the I, beginning. I, exactly. I grew up in hardest, bro. I was raised right. on the streets. Right. So so there so was no. Like... But it was just. I needed. I knew I needed to fall into money right there. Like I needed to start working. I needed to do something. I needed a place to stay, mm-hmm. or sleep in my car. Right. So I said, you know what? Screw this. I'm gonna just drive straight to California because I know Vic's there. I got Vic's address from Philly. Yeah, from Philly. So I, I wasn't going back home. So I jumped in my car, drove three days straight. Like you hung Philly up the phone. I, yeah. Jumped in the car to go to California. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I swear. <laughs> I, I just started driving, bro. Uh-huh. I started driving. I drove three days, got straight to Oakland. And what did you do? Did you like pull over in a rest stop and just sleep in a car? No, I stayed in a hotel. I okay. Was, I was dumb. I should have just stayed in my car. Cause right. I, that's... I, we get to that because I ended up mm-hmm. sleeping in my car for a couple weeks. Okay. But uh, I get to Vic's house and I go knock on Vic's door. He answers the door and he looks. Of course, he knows it's me. I'm I'm mailing him, you know, my my crappy indie wrestling tapes and my backyard videos and all this stuff. So and I'm always in touch with Vic, calling him and aggravating the hell out of him. I don't know why he gave me the time of day. <laughs> so he opens the door and he says, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "I want you to train me. I want to, you know, I want to wrestle." Mm-hmm. And he looks at me. Can we can, do we curse on this podcast? You can do curse, curse? A little bit. Go for it. Go yeah. for it. He looks at me and he goes. You're a fucking moron. <laughs> and my heart, my my heart dropped down to my ass. I started crying <laughs> again, again, <laughs> again because like like you got the California to, yeah. cries, you had the Philly cries. I'm used to being upset and like not letting stuff get to me and stuff. Yeah. But this was different because it was my passion and it was everything I thought in life that I'm thinking this guy's gonna grab me and suck me in and go, "You want to be a wrestler, kid? Let's take <laughs> you to the top. I'm gonna put yeah. you underneath my wing." And- I mean, this was the last. <laughs> you already had your plan. It failed. So it's like, here's my way out, and the guy's looking at you like. The hell are you doing on my doorstep? <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't have a ring. Where the hell am I? I said, well, just train me in the backyard. So he doesn't have a school. He, he have he's school. not he a trainer. No, no, nothing. Right. He just had, He's like, he I don't like, have a ring. Like, you're sitting there going, like, every every wrestler has a ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? That's what you think in your mind, Of right? course. He's, he's a ECW. He's on TV. He's rich and has a ring. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. So, uh, so Vic tells me, you know, look, I can't do it. 
And I was like, look, I'm not, I told him, I said, I'm not going home. I will pester you every day. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I slept in my car for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. I started putting in job applications places in California. He had a regular job too, which I found out about. So which I would, already your your world is getting like right because turned I, upside down. Exactly, because how could this ECW guy have a regular job? Yeah, a hundred percent. Right. I'm like, how did this guy who wrestles full time for ECW and always on the road and on TV, pay per views? Why is he working a regular job? Right. So um, I go to his job and every day I would spend majority of the day there just helping him after I'd put in some applications somewhere I'm putting applications at like Burger King and stuff wherever yeah just yeah. just stuff I, I didn't think of so uh um, what's his regular job he was a he did scaffolding okay so he, he ran the yard at the scaffolding company uh-huh. so I would just literally go there and spend you know four or five hours a day just hanging out with him how is the guy and, that falls off scaffolding is the one who works in the scaffolding eight, <laughs> like, yeah, that's like, that's, all the, he didn't really fall off that was all his idea and that was you know that that was Jack's fault the part where Jack yeah yeah, yeah. Know, so from everything I've been told from Vic and uh-huh. I mean and I was there for some of them yeah but uh yeah, but like he, look, Vic was four hundred pounds running up and down scaffolds. That's like, all no he problem. did. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's so funny. He's like, look, I want to be a wrestler. One thing I know is scaffolding matches. <laughs> <laughs> that's my specialty. So well, his uncle owned a scaffolding company. Yeah. So that's who he worked for, and then uh, eventually his. So uncle you show came. up. Yeah, you show up in the scaffolding company. You're just working for free, helping him out. Yeah, yeah. Literally for like two weeks straight. Uh huh. And uh, I didn't have nothing else to do. Yeah. I didn't have nowhere to go. Right. Yeah. So um, eventually, the owner comes back from vacation. They call me into the office, mm-hmm. and somebody comes and gets me and he says, "Go see Mr. Brian. He wants to see. He's the owner. He's in the office." He asks me who I am. What am I doing there? And he goes, "I heard you've been working here for a couple of weeks, just staying around, helping out." And I said, uh, "Yeah, I have." I mean, I told him my story, and he goes, "All right, well, fill out an application. You just got a job. You've been working." So and then he gave me, you know, he started me out at like fifteen, sixteen dollars an hour. That's good money. Yeah, this is two thousand two. That's really you know good I mean? money in two thousand two. So, yeah, and I was, I was, I was a young kid, so um, might have been two thousand one, somewhere two thousand one, two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Um, had ECW gone out of business? Yeah, ECW had just gone out of business. I think. I think they had just went out of business. So are you also like in the back of your mind, right? You're trying to figure out how to make this wrestling thing work at all. Well, yeah, but Vic also was, Vic was with XPW at the time. So you already were like, "Well, ECW's gone, but XPW, right?" And that's that, the that future. That was a hot thing because they had Suncoast videos. They oh had yeah, all this stuff. Oh yeah, I remember XPW. Like, I was convinced. All right, they're gonna pick off. They started getting all the guys there. Their DVDs were in regular stores. You could get their like, which was big time, right? That was like huge it was, time. It was WWF, yes, WCW, and XPW, and, XPW and that was it. Time. Yeah, and that was it. And like was, ECW never got regular home video release in those stores. They had a couple of specialties or whatever. Right. So I, dude, like, uh, so I started working and training with Vic, and we would go to independent shows, and he would train me before the show and do stuff like that. But we, we were together a lot. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was just training, training, training with him, and and then wrestling on wrestling him on a lot of shows. So it would just be like, let's go to shows. We'll get in the ring before the show, and I'll train you there. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And any show he was booked on, I would just travel with him with. And right. Usually drive and do all the young. Yeah, you boy drive. Stuff. You carry my bags. I'll train you a little bit in the ring yeah. before the show, and, and and I'll see if I can get you booked. But Vic was like the first person to really believe in me because I was in Louisiana. I came up around absolute turds, bro. Right. And I mean turds. Right. These dudes were bad, uh-huh. and they treated me like crap, and I hated it because I. And that's it's bad like, when a turd treats you like crap. Because yeah, because it was like oh, when you broke into business back then. When I came into business, it was a different time. We right. talked about this earlier a little bit, but 
they treated me like, oh, you're greenhorn, you're greenhorn, and they wanted to beat up on me. They didn't want to. By now, are you are you a big guy no, when you're a I'm kid? No, I'm 140 pounds. Okay, so you're skinny. So kid. skinny, and by beat up on me, I mean like take advantage of me in the ring, and I wasn't allowed to fight back. Like, oh, you're gonna be a ref because you you're not talented. You, this is the stuff they used to tell me. You're not talented. You're not never gonna be a wrestler. This that whatever. You know, you're small. You're this. And these guys weren't big neither. Or right. They were big. They were just fat turds. Right. You know why? So and, so what? But to what benefit? It, and it was just yeah, just. So I had a mouth on me. Right. Go figure. Uh, <laughs> so I had a mouth on me. So eventually I just, I'd tell these guys, I was like, you suck. Right. You suck. You keep treating me like shit, but you suck. Like, you're garbage. You're not properly trained. I know the difference between, you but know. But they don't want to hear that. Right, right. So like, uh, and I started, I, and I, I started fighting back because I was like, if, if you guys try and take advantage of me again, we're going to really fight. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna beat your ass. And that's something you can do. And then, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Because I'm like, I'm, you know, you guys want to beat up on me in the ring, and I'm a referee, and just, just because, because you're getting kicks out of it and take advantage of me. Yeah. Because I'm not allowed to do anything because it's part of the show. Right. But now I'm I had enough of it because all y'all do is treat me like crap, and you've never been nice to me since day one. What you, what you put this chip on my shoulder? You know, you, you got to think about it. You take a kid from the streets that grew up in the freaking hood. Yeah. That fought. Every day, pretty much. Yeah. And I'm not exaggerating. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've probably been in as much fist fights as, as many times I tied my shoes back then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just it just it was just, that's just how so it, it was. was a way of life. I was poor. Mm-hmm. I was white in a black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It was just you know my mom was a drug addict. Everybody in the neighborhood knew. It. So it was like the constant pick on you got to fight your way out of everything. Right. I'm wearing my mom's clothes to school. I'm wearing women's jeans, women's shirts. The school, so I'm constantly getting fights over it because right. you know because of stuff that's out of my control. And God forbid you ever get anything nice. Right, exactly. I never had nothing nice. Right, and, and, until I went to the boys' home. Right, and then that was like an eye opening. But I hated it because it was such a big change from what I was used to. Mm-hmm. Like you going, you know, it's it's like taking someone out the jungle and putting them in a mansion. Right, you just don't know how to act. Right, right, right. You don't know how to act. Right. So, uh, but I mean, I, I got you know accustomed to it, and they. You know, taught me living skills. They taught me all these great things, and then I eventually I got adopted at fifteen. Uh, so is that when you get adopted? Is that where you learn your kind of work ethic? And you're like, okay, 100%. like you're not going to get taken advantage of, but humility is important. And the idea of like, I'll well, be humble. I'm gonna like the idea that you would hang around with Vic Grimes and just go to shows with him, not making any money, and just understanding this is part of the learning process. At some point in your upbringing. That has to be instilled in you. I, I was cool with being, you know, like I said, maybe hazed, hazed. I was cool with being picked on or being treated like the new guy or paying dues. Yeah. None of that ever bothered me. What bothered me was people who were complete scumbags and just being dicks for no reason or treating you like crap, and you know what I mean, and ta- or taking advantage of guys. I wasn't a guy to be taken advantage of. Right. And, and you I knew the difference. Yeah, and I yeah. knew the difference, exactly. And I yeah. would pay my dues and I would be respectful. But if you were going to try and screw me over in any kind of way, like legit, mm-hmm. you best believe I was fighting back. So, you, so I was going to say, so you ended up in XPW. I ended up in XPW because of Vic. We, we, they seen a match we had. Uh-huh. They loved it. They they needed some tag teams for a tournament. So they threw me in with this other guy. They said, we're going to call him the altar boys. They, right. They called Vic up, bring your student. We want to put him in a match on this tag team show. Right. Did it, got over really well. Mm-hmm. I stood out the most in the match, thank God. The other guy did good too, but he just disappeared off the map after that. Mm-hmm. Next show after that was a deathmatch tournament. 
Right, so that's what I was going to ask you about is that, like, it's one thing, and you're an ECW fan, so the idea of hardcore wrestling, I'm sure, is something that was in your head, like, yeah, I want to do this, but deathmatch wrestling is a whole different thing, and even ECW wasn't doing deathmatch wrestling, they were doing right. hardcore. Or they built up to it, it was like an exploding ring match, Right, it didn't really go off that well because the right. pyro was messed up and things right. of that nature. Right, but they do, like, Cactus Jack versus Sandman barbed wire, they do, like, the Terry Funk versus Sabu barbed wire match was, like, a huge, huge deal, it wasn't. Massive. Right. So and it was always built up, like you always seen the angles up, on TV, yes. and you seen the the commercials for it after, and it was like this unsen watch this uncensored yes. video of the craziest things that ever happened in wrestling, yeah, and that was instilled in your mind, right? It wasn't like, hey, we're gonna do a show, and there's gonna be seven of these matches on the show, and you're like, you're right, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah exactly. But so when you are in XPW, and real quickly end up in this deathmatch tournament and in the deathmatch world. And, you know, I've talked about it. I loved why I was a tape trader in high school. I loved deathmatches uh, growing up. I, I love the new deathmatch wrestlers when it's people who are doing what they want to do. Right, 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 right. right, right. Was, was deathmatch wrestling something you wanted to nah, be doing? Not at all. So how I fell into it was they needed people for the deathmatches. Right. So they called me up and uh, they said, hey, we want to do a death match with you and we want to, you know, put you as one of the finals. And I was like, man, I, I was shocked. I didn't know what to do. I just said, yeah, because I felt like I had to. I get it. Cause you don't want to do a death match, but at the same time, you're like, you I've literally never had an opportunity. And yeah, this right. is the third biggest company. Right. And you can't tell them no. Right. Because you're going to get somebody, somebody else. else and that's it for you. So I call Vic right away. I hang up the phone and Vic is furious. He's like, I can't believe they called you. You're my student. Because it should have gone through him. Exactly. And then he would have protected you from an uncomfortable... Position. Yeah. Right. So uh, he was furious. And he talked to me about it. He goes, let me call the office. I'll call you right back. That's what happened. He calls me back. He goes, look, they want to make a little run with you. You know, I'm still pissed at him for going around me. Mm -hmm. But I think it'd be a good opportunity for you because you're going to get some shine on it. Uh, I will help you go over it. We'll try and keep it as safe as possible because obviously those matches are super dangerous. Um, yeah. I mean, it's easily to, to get, you know, you could get killed, but you could also, you know, it wouldn't be nothing to cut an artery and, yeah. you know, you've seen it in a million videos. It's, sure. it's crazy that more the guys haven't died from them. Yeah. But they do some serious sick things in these matches. But that's why it's so, I think, important that when you do deathmatch wrestling, it's people that not only want to be doing it, but people that are specially trained to do it. Right. Because right? I think that's why... There haven't been more serious accents because the people that do them, that's their specialty. It's a novelty. It's not right. it's not it's not right. for anybody to just right. do. You know, you just don't go smack it somebody in the head with something as hard as you can. It's, right. There's definitely a there's definitely uh, I don't want to say a trick to it, but because trick's the wrong word. I mean I think there's an art to it though. It's an art, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. an art for sure. Yeah. I think it's an underappreciated art and that's because I think it gets mixed up in all like your story of people kind of because you can take advantage of people, but you can also do it right. Right. Yeah. And I think that, that that's a line that I, I wish more people drew. But, so, you end up in this deathmatch tournament. Kill it. Kill it. You were awesome. Ma what, what, massive. What deathmatches did it was, you wrestle It was first me and Vinny Massaro. So, my thing was, is like, I knew I didn't know anything about psychology or wrestling and stuff. So, when I got with Vic and stuff, I really wanted to learn that part. I wanted to mm -hmm. learn the grappling because... Back home with the turds, they they didn't teach me that because they didn't know it. Right. They knew how to take right. a bump, and they went in there and called some BS match that right. like was was. It was an exercise in convincing kids to get their money. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and um, so I wanted to learn psychology. Yeah. And I wanted to learn how to become a better technical wrestler. 
uh, because I knew my grappling wasn't that good outside of amateur wrestling, you know what I mean? Uh, so Vic started teaching me the fundamentals, and I wanted to apply that to deathmatch wrestling, which I felt wasn't really applied back then. It yep. was just they go hit each other with stuff. Right. So when I talked to the guys about it, and Vinny, Vinny Massaro was an excellent wrestler. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know who he is. He was in King of Indies back then. He was came up with Vic and all those guys mm-hmm. in, in APW. So um, I learned a lot from that first match with Vinny. And we did two deathmatch spots in the whole match. All we did was wrestle. We thought the crowd might crap on it. Yeah. But they didn't. They ate it up. And you so build then, to those big deathmatch uh, spots? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then I wrestled Supreme in the second round. And I asked Supreme. Supreme had this attitude. Supreme was a really nice guy. But he didn't have an attitude, a reputation for being super tough, beating up on guys, knocking guys out, just laying. Like, he was the deathmatch guy. And, well, he, and was, he was. Yeah. Then he, he was, was the yeah, deathmatch guy. And yeah. He, and he was an ass beater. Yeah. So I was like, man, Supreme's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I had this idea. Though. I said, I'd like to incorporate some wrestling in these death matches. And he was cool with it. And it earned his respect. And he put me over heavy. He went over in the tournament. But then it was his idea to like, hey, let's, why don't we put the belt on this kid? This kid's got something. Mm-hmm. So next show we go to Philly, did the first XPW Philly show at the arena. The, right. The hostile takeover. Right. Me, Vic Grimes, Lil Guido, three redance. Tear the house down. Best show tonight. Best match of the night. And are you losing your play. mind that it's like oh, Guido yeah. in the arena? Oh dude, yeah. It was it was I was on in Hog Heaven. Right. right. So the next show they said, Hey, we want to put the deathmatch belt on you. Do this. I'm thinking, damn man, I really don't want to do death matches. Because now you're stuck doing death matches if you're the champ, right? But yeah. but but I'm getting the title at the same time, so it's a good thing. And I'm like 21 yeah. years old, right? You know, a couple years in wrestling, but no real background in wrestling because the first couple of years were in Louisiana, so with the turds, right? Hard to count them, right? Right, hard, hard to count them. So um, I, I I take it, do some kick ass death matches, but then eventually I'm like, man, I just I said, look, I and then were there any death match spots that you were like. I never want to do that again. Well, I mean, I did that 450 off the crow's nest through the table. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that, if you've seen uh-huh. it. Like, it's, it's you know, it kind of got lost in the wind now because I've done so much crazy stuff. Yeah. But back then, that was probably the craziest deathmatch spot that ever happened. Uh-huh. Because, I mean, I was on top of the crow's nest, and I didn't do it from the top to the stage. Uh-huh. Where, like, Dreamer got choke slammed on. Right. I did it to the floor. Right. Which is even higher. Yeah. So I said this idea, I told him, I said... I bet you I can do a 450 off that on the table, a table with some guys. And then another guy's like, well, we should add thumbtacks to it. I'm thinking, shit. <laughs> what, what, what did I get myself into? So that's what I did. And, like, the thumbtacks, I hit so many of them, they broke off in my hands from such force. Like, I couldn't close my hand for, like, two weeks. And I had Whoa. to pick them out with pliers. They were pliers. stuck in. They were stuck in. They were, like, wow. they, they broke off from the, from the force. So the, the spike part yeah, was just so, in your wow. So that, that was brutal. Yeah, and after I did, you know, three or four matches, I was—I just told him I didn't. I would. It was crazy because independent inquiries went up like crazy about doing death matches. Mm-hmm. Like I was getting hit up all over by promoters. We want you to come. I I did not take one offer, and they wanted to pay decent money. But you just, knew, yeah, because I didn't want to be a deathmatch wrestler. Right. Like I wanted to, and and back then, like when I go back to saying, back in my day, mm-hmm. it was it was different. Nobody helped me. Nobody was guiding me. I mean, Vic helped me, but guys didn't come up and give you advice. Guys didn't tell you what you were doing wrong. They would tell you, great job, even if they didn't watch your match. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't tell you that you were too skinny or you needed to improve this. They didn't care, and they didn't want competition. They didn't want somebody taking their spot because that's how it was back then. Everything was somebody else's spot. Yeah. And you didn't didn't want to take a spot. You would get heat because you took such and such friend's spot. 
Right. So it was like you would literally do nothing. You would just get an opportunity, and all of a sudden, the whole locker room would hate you because Joe Blow was in that spot before. Right. And he's not here anymore, and that was their boy. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, you absolutely just showed up and got an opportunity, but everybody hates you for that. Right. So, uh, so you know, and guys don't understand that now because, like, I, I think a lot with the new guys in wrestling, I, I, I'm all for all these opportunities and all these companies bumping up, but I think it is a curse for new guys to get – you know, guys with just a few years' experience, especially girls, because I think they're the worst, really. Mm-hmm. It goes to their head quick. Mm-hmm. They get the, they come in, they don't really put any time in, and or, or that much hard work in, and then they get these golden opportunities. So they feel like, okay, well now, look, I just got to WWE, and I'm making some good money, and I'm going to be on national TV. Oh well, this guy signed with AEW, and I heard he's getting paid this, and. He's man, I'm better than him or my friends over in AEW, but I was in WWE first. So maybe, maybe I need to get out this WWE contract and go to AEW so I can make more money. Right. It's Everything's like, like short term yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and for me I hate that because I'm I'm a grinder. Mm-hmm. And I think like make the most of your opportunity and appreciate what you got. And if you can't, you know, do it the right way though. Leave a company the right way, do it things the right way, leave on a good note. Just if if it's not where you wanna be, then you know, try and do something to change it, but don't, don't, I don't think throwing a company under the bus, because I, I see too many guys don't get their way. Yeah. So they want to throw the company under the bus. Right. And it's always easy. I find this as a Boston wrestling running Wildcat. You're always the bad guy. Right. Because everybody there feels they should be the champion. Everybody there feels they should be in the main event. Every wrestler you don't book that hits you up. I'm sure you got it with the podcast. Everybody's hitting you up because they want to be on your podcast, because they want to be on your radio show. And then when you don't do it, because you can't, because you're too busy, or you got a line, a list a, lot, a mile long that you got to have guys on, they're like, screw you. <laughs> screw you. How dare you not How dare you not give me this? Yeah. You know, and I understand it. It's a work ethic. Guys, just, you know, do more, be more. Keep grinding. So... When you did you go to XPW and say I don't want to be the champion anymore? I did. I said I said look. Were they I, like I, I, acting like you were a maniac? Oh yeah, like uh, Rob. Well, Rob uh, Black was a complete jerk. Mm-hmm. Jerk off. I mean, mm-hmm. he had no. He had no. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Compassion for somebody else's life, somebody else's health. You know, everything is if you can't do it, we'll get somebody else in that spot. Right. Or like he knew nothing about wrestling. He was just a fan. Mm-hmm. But so so one show we had and, and this is what was a big reason, like I went off on Rob a few times backstage because this is, one day he told me, uh, they picked me up in a car from Philly and he was in the back seat with me and I was just being nice and I said, How you doing? And he goes, What? And I said, How you doing? And he goes, I can't believe you're even talking to me. He goes, I don't talk to guys like you. That's what he told me. <laughs> he goes, unless you're on TV, uh-huh. I don't talk to you. So I told him to go F himself. Sure. Literally in the backseat of his car, <laughs> I told him to go F himself. <laughs> and I like, and, but but that earned his respect because he's like, oh, I like that. He appreciated like that. it. Yeah. That's so and funny. I was like, yeah, I don't care who you are. You're not going to tell me. I'm just being friendly and saying hello. Yeah. You're not going to tell, you know. But then it was like, that same show, uh, I gotta get hit. I get hit in the head with a chair. Mm-hmm. I put my hand up. Mm-hmm. Looks great. As soon as I get in the back, though, he's chewing me out. This is XPW. We don't put our hands up for chair shots. My you're, how things have changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're a you're a P. You're this. You're, you know. I mean, going off, and he's like, you know, blah blah blah. And then Jerry Lynn stepped in and took up for me. Jerry's like, dude, the shot looked great. You protected yourself, what you're supposed to do. And, you know, he's like, why would you just stick your neck out there for somebody to hit you with a chair if you see it's coming at you? Yeah. And then uh, 
So the next show after that, Rob had me crucified and literally beat in the head with a chair several times, which I had the worst concussion in my life. That's where my concussion started. It was like, bro, if I could kill this dude, if I could see him and punch him in the face, 100%. Because it like, wasn't even about the angle. It was just getting you back it was so just that you were yeah. unprotected. So like, and so like, yeah. So it cost me this injury that put me out of wrestling for a while because I had such bad, such a bad concussion just because of some jerk off who didn't yeah. know anything about wrestling was just a fan and said I wasn't being hardcore enough because I put my hand up for a chair shot. Ask Jerry Lynn about that story if you ever talk to him. I will. Uh, did you? So did you leave XPW or nah, did you XPW it, it go a, under? It was just it, we we did. I dropped the belt. We did a few more shows and then eventually about a year after that it went under. It goes under. So, so that's when I started driving the wild side. Right. So I went from making decent money and getting flown and doing all these big highlight shows uh-huh. to back to living in Louisiana because I moved back to Louisiana. And because um, I was like, oh, I'll get flown to shows now. I can go do other th- stuff. I'm hot. I'm getting in- other indie bookings now because of XPW. And then that all died off. And the closest thing to me that was decent was Wildside. And that was a seven and a half hour drive for free. <laughs> wow. So, you know, I went from getting paid bookings and, and you know, to, to back to the beginning. Back to the back beginning. To square one. Yeah. If I wanted to wrestle, that's what I had to do, though. Wow. So you did. And, and you know, and we'll fast forward a little bit because you did some stuff with CZW. CZW, which, uh, PWU, I, which was run by Ty Gordon. And CZW obviously is still around. Yeah. But, you know, for those that don't know, like when ECW went under, it was XPW and CZW right. that were kind of like the two big, you know, hardcore indie promotions that ECW fans kind of went to and guys that wanted to work in ECW went to. But you did that. You did... Uh, the MTV Wrestling Society X show. Yeah, we did that in 2006, which that was awesome. And I thought, see, dude, I thought that was going to be the big break. I think a lot like, of people did. We got paid really well on it. We were staying on Hollywood Boulevard. I'm thinking we're going to be out at spring break banging girls and wrestling <laughs> on the <laughs> music awards and stuff. Yeah. You know, you're you're going to be an MTV celebrity yeah, you, slash wrestler. Yeah. You thought this was going to be the biggest like, right. thing. I'm like, man, we're about to live it up, right? <laughs> Me, Scorpio Sky, <laughs> Joey Ryan, a bunch of other cats, Matt Seidel, yeah. Cole Cabana, man, Alcatraz, Vic. So yeah. like, it was cool because you had all your buddies at me. We were all buddies, man. We were all buddies and... We got this big break, and we're getting paid almost a thousand dollars per match, and it was, oh. you know, and it, plus it was just fun, man. It was just it, we were hanging out on Hollywood Boulevard. They were giving us per diems, which we never got wrestling. So it's all these young guys because it's a TV show, right? Right. And, and man, it was it was just crazy. They were like, "Oh, you're gonna have merchandise deals." <laughs> oh, that gonna... per diem. You're sitting there going, "Like, wait, I get paid." And then there's also this money that you're just giving me yeah. this money to per, per day. Yeah. Per day. And we're I, staying on freaking Hollywood Boulevard <laughs> in like this super nice hotel. Yeah. You know, Lindsay Lohan's in there, freaking uh and it's on them. Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we're like, oh man, this is this is what our life's gonna be from now on. I love that. Like you're flying around getting paid bookings. You go home, you're wrestling for free seven hours away. <laughs> yeah. Now you're in Lindsay Lohan hotel, yeah, you know, chilling, you know, chilling, getting per diem, yeah. <laughs> making a thousand dollars a match, going like, well, now, okay, good, finally had a rough patch, but now yeah. I figured out my life. I'm about to hang out with Johnny Knoxville. And <laughs> they pulled the rug out from underneath us. And yeah, they just go, hey, remember that season uh, that you did? Yeah, it was just that one season. We're yeah. done with that. We're not doing that. Anymore. We're not doing that again. You're like, well, I don't know. It seems like a really good idea, guys. Yeah. I don't know why. Keep paying me, please. Yeah. <laughs> so. At what point did you decide, like, you know, I have to diversify to survive. I have to be a guy who has a school. I have to run a promotion. Well, I have to, like, you know, because yeah, I think that that's something that eventually 
people who really you know want to stay in wrestling like you you do have to kind of diversify and figure out that there are roles in wrestling i think where you can if you want to work in the industry for your entire life right you just have to be able to adapt and evolve well i, I um obviously i still had a lot of life in me still do still do yeah, yeah yeah so so i wanted to expand and do more but again, I was in this area where I knew it was bad, right? And it used yeah. to be such a hot market for wrestling back in the '80s. Yeah, and I, you know, I went to my first shows down there, which were hot with Terry Funk and Paul Orndorff and all these guys. So I wanted it to be like that again, but I didn't feel my my first step was was changing my body. Nobody, I I started looking at posters and going, well, why am I not in main events? Why am I not in this? And I'm going, well, I'm not good enough in here. I need it, so I need to learn how to I need to learn how to technical wrestle more. I need to get bigger. Nobody was telling me to get bigger. Nobody was telling me to go to the gym. Nobody was trying to help me whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I had to figure these things out on my own. Whereas at, at my school, I'm telling them what to do, and some of them still won't do it. You can, <laughs> hey, bro, you yeah, can write it crazy. down. Yeah, you can write everything down <laughs> step by step, and they just they're gonna go okay. So and they look at I... you and you go, well, how would you know? And you're like, I did it. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> telling you how to do it. How do I jump from one to thirty really quick? <laughs> yeah, uh, can I skip all these in the middle? <laughs> so I figured that out. But so how did you figure out how to work out properly, for instance? Like, I, I didn't. I started going to the gym. I had no idea what I was doing, mm -hmm. and I probably looked like a jackass. Mm -hmm. And, event, you know, I hated it at first. I absolutely hated it. Because you're probably not getting the right results I'm because you don't know what you're results. doing. You have no idea what you're doing. And, and, you know, you just you go there, you're a little insecure mm -hmm. because, you know, you see people doing things that you can't do. But for me, that kind of fired me up because I was like, I got to figure out how to do it. I got to learn. I gotta, and, 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 you know, I would ask people and then it was time, you know. And then I, I started becoming a, a, I would say, intermediate weightlifter mm -hmm. where I was getting results and I was decent. And I knew like the, you know, I knew the basics. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew how to get bigger and it just took time. And But I didn't know stuff about diet. Some things I didn't know proper form on. And then I, you know, I, I the Bell Brothers, mm -hmm. Mark Bell. Chris Bell, who did Bigger, Stronger, Faster. Yep. They became close friends of mine because of Bigger, Stronger, Faster. And uh, Chris did. And then which hooked me up with Mark. And Mark's one of the best power lifters in the world. So they started taking me under their wing and teaching me how to lift properly and how to get my lifts up, which got me into powerlifting, which I do competitively now. Um, you know, and a lot of things came from that. Like I started, because of my hard work in wrestling, I had to start going to the gym, right? And I had to figure that out. So I fell in love with the gym. Started training, loved training, fell in love with it. Started getting results eventually. Started, I mean, and I, but I'm talking years and years and years and years of work and, and trial, tribulations, all that stuff, and learning from different people, which eventually led to me getting a sponsorship with a supplement company, which mm -hmm. is like an ultimate goal, right? They mm -hmm. pay you and they send you supplements so you don't have to go buy them anymore, right? Which also led to me getting a uh, sponsorship from a food prep company. I, so I'm with Isotore with Fit Like Brands mm -hmm. for my supplements, and then I'm with Chump Nola who. Every week sends meals to my house mm -hmm. to me, so I don't have to eat out, I don't have to cook, you know, just which is right. That's like the ultimate. Yeah. Um, and then Mark's company, so like they send me all their merchandise and you know the test stuff, and I'm always honest, you know, they, hey, we got this new product, try it, see how you like it. Uh, so that's really cool because they respect me enough that they give me all this stuff and stuff I need and stuff I use. Mm -hmm. um, but then you know that all those avenues of working hard through wrestling led to the fitness stuff which eventually led to the movie stuff as well. Right. So, okay. So you start getting bigger. You start, you know, 
expanding what you're doing in Louisiana for wrestling and like right. I started the wrestling school in 2011. I started. Oh, we we cut that short. See, yeah. I started that because I knew that I wanted good wrestling in Louisiana. I wanted to train people. I knew there was a market there for it, but. Deep in my heart, I felt like I didn't have the credentials because I was always told by people, you know, oh, you never made it. Mm -hmm. You didn't. You never made it because you never went to WWE. Right. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm not good enough because I wasn't on WWE. And, right. You know, there was a few opportunities there, and I've always had a good working relationship with them. I still do. You know, I've been down to guest coaching at the PC and. You know, I've had How did you like offers. that? It was great. Yeah, it was cool. They got a really nice facility there, and you know, just I think, man, those people got it so good and they got it so easy. Mm -hmm. they, they have no idea, which is cool because times change. You know? Definitely. And I, I want my kid to get those same opportunities or better ones. Right. But he's he's putting a lot of work at this. He's only he just made twenty one, man, and he's he's put in so much work already. He's he's worked really worked for it his whole life, and he's so much better than I ever was. Uh huh. But uh, so I started the school. And uh, and then eventually I was like, man, well, I got to have shows because I gotta, can't send these guys to these crap shows and yeah, have them yeah. wrestle there because it, then you're like working backwards. So it was the school first and then it was like, I got to set up a promotion so I can have a place for these kids to work. Exactly. Right. And that, that's like the promotion wasn't where I wanted to start. It started with the school and that kind of, I didn't think about that aspect at first. And, and would you bring people in when you would put I would, shows? Yeah. I would. And uh, so we started with the shows. And actually, Paul Bear helped us get started because, you know, he was very close to me. I got these funny stories, man. Like, so when I was young, I got married in high school. I had my, my, my son in 10th grade. And I was the white boy in the Spanish household. Mm -hmm. My mother-in-law barely speaks English. Mm -hmm. Grandmother didn't speak a lick. And she didn't even say hello. Mm -hmm. So... And it's it's like four or five of us in the house, in this small little house, one house phone, no no cell phones back then, one house phone in the kitchen in the front of the house. So because of my relationship with the guys in the South, and as a young kid, I would put up the rings, do all that stuff, go to all the shows, work out with the guys, referee at a young age, you know, like just around. So Paul Bear and all those guys, I was close with him, Bob Holly. Mm -hmm. So Paul would call my house at like three in the morning on like Tuesdays, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like on like a Monday night after Raw, they're driving to the next town or something. So at three in the morning, the phone would ring in the kitchen, and then my mother-in-law would come beating on the door. My real name's Orange. Mm -hmm. Orange, Orange, get up! And she's, I'm telling me she's throwing me out, telling me in Spanish she's kicking me out the house. My <laughs> friend, and I would go pick up the phone. I'm, I'm, I'm 15, dude. I'm yeah. 15, 16 years old. I go pick up the phone and. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really Paul Bear now. It's really Percy Pringle, and he's calling. He's and where did you meet him? He's on the Indies, and in yeah, because I would go to all the Alabama shows, and because it's only two hours away. Yeah, so I, like, so they, was he working Indies? Said, he was and being in, in WWE yeah, at the same time. All, yeah, he was, and well, he really uh -huh. wasn't working. He'd just kind of be backstage because his cousin uh, Marcel Pringle, uh -huh. and Bob, you know, like they all had these little ties to these little Indies around there. So I they see, would be there, and they were the big stars. Yeah, but like everybody else was garbage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. I mean garbage yeah. so besides like Steve Anthony Steve Anthony was coming up then he was really good he still uh -huh. is he's he's one of our champs at Wildcat but um, you know and I'm freaking out I'm going god he's about to get me kicked out of my house I can't what do I do and I don't want to tell because I, I want to go hey man you can't call here like this because you're going to get me because he's screwing my mother-in-law on the phone back then right you know she don't understand and he's, he's just, just doing it as a goof yeah he's just doing yeah. it just ribbing yeah so uh but I think it's the coolest thing at the same time because I'm super Mark, right? Super Mark. Of course, Mark. you're 15, 16 years old. Paul Bearer's calling your house doing Paul Bearer. Like, right. that's the greatest thing in the world. 
so and I'm like, man, but you're gonna get me kicked out. <laughs> but I can't tell you don't call because then I'll never make it to the WWE. Right, you'll blackball me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, those were interesting times, man. It was fun. So you got these cool experiences early on because they, you know, I would like I said, they always treated me good and they always seen something in me. Some of those top guys they did. You know, Bob always was. You know, Bob liked me from day one because everybody was scared of Bob. Right. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I grew up fighting. So fighting, right. fighting didn't scare me. So the first time I met Bob, Bob had it bad. Bob was mean. Bob didn't like anybody. Bob was angry Bob. So he, he didn't want to be around any of those guys. So he was getting ready to go back up to WWE coming off injury. So he's working some little indies around it because they could do that back then. Right. You know, they would work these little indies and get ready to go back up to TV. And uh, he came up to me and he looked at me and. How skinny, and he looks like somebody wants to be chopped tonight. I was kind of poking my chest out, you know. Mm-hmm. He looks like somebody wants to be chopped tonight. And I said, "Well, bring it, mother," you know. <laughs> and he goes, "What'd you say to me?" I said, "You heard me. I'm not scared of you." you know? <laughs> he got in my face. So we got nose to nose. Uh-huh. And he's like, "Yo, yeah." And I said, "Yeah." Like, I, cause I would have threw down right there. Right. I would have threw down right there. That was not. If you're gonna fight, I'm fighting. Let's go. And I right. Win or lose, you're fighting. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, I, it didn't matter if I get my ass kicked tonight. I, I was fighting. We're doing that, this. That was, exactly. I wasn't going to be bullied around like that. Right. But that earned their respect because then Bob's like, get in the ring with me. He made me get in the ring with him. He changed some stuff around. I had to get in the ring with him that night. With Paul, and he lit me up. Mm-hmm. And I gave it back a little bit. But I, but I took it and I was like, this is nothing. Yeah. Everybody else there was crapping the pants. I can't believe he did that. Oh yeah. my god. Hey, I'm scared. I never want to be in the ring with him. I'm like, I'm like thinking cuz cuz y'all ain't shit. <laughs> y'all vaginas. Like y'all have like you yeah. guys are not trained. You guys are you know what I mean? It's like deters like I'm like thinking man, I play like this in the field with my boys, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like we out there roughhousing constantly beating the hell out of each other. And so it really wasn't nothing. But then Bob's like, "Man, you a tough kid. You are a tough kid." He's like, I like you. I want to work you in a singles match. I want to. So the next thing you know, me and Bob became what and what. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just like you, you earn these guys respect because you show them you're not fearful. You're not. You know, you can take it. You can give it. You yeah. Can, and and that's when I started. Like I would pick up work ethics from guys like that though, because that's that's why everything was hands on learning on the job, because. I would see, oh, well, Bob goes to the gym twice a day, or Bob does this, or this guy does this, this guy does that. You know, certain things that qualities, you, good qualities, you want to pick up from different guys, mm-hmm. and you kind of blend them all together. So I started figuring out, well, damn, I got to be the hardest worker in the room. Nobody told me that. I figured that out on my own. I, I started lifting. I started doing this. I started doing that. I'm like, oh, I gotta, I want to lift more than these guys. I want to bench more than these guys. I want to squat more than these guys. I want to everything they you might not be doing. Yeah. I want to do. Yeah, I want to be the Excuse me, I've still got this uh, Red Bull gas. It's okay. It's okay. I, I want to be the best. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and that's what I did, and that's what I do today, and that's what I do with my training. It's it's every morning I'm up. I go to the gym same time every day. Um, you know, I watch what I eat. It, it, people don't realize how much work goes into everything you do, and because of that, like, all that hard work fell off, and it, it, it got me into film. Right. Because of those opportunities, people. So, yeah, so you ended up, you started doing stuntman stuff, and it went into full-on, like, you know, having acting work right in action a films. lot of, exactly a lot of stunt acting work yeah so i play like a lot of bit characters and be you know people would turn down play it oh you were only in this movie for a minute oh you you only uh i mean that's know, a minute oh, longer than me like yeah you yeah. know what i mean like that's it, it's cool man because you know I, I do all these cool roles i still do a lot of stunt work as well but i do a lot of stunt acting roles mm-hmm. and you know I work with the best of the best out there I work with some of the biggest stars out there 
Uh, always been treated really well, and the movie industry is something I love dearly. So you work with The Rock in the in the Fate of the Furious. Rock killed me in that. Hugh Jackman <laughs> killed me in Logan. Uh, mm-hmm. Stallone killed me in a couple films. Satan <laughs> killed me in a couple films. Got a nice film. I uh, got a film on Hulu right now called Wounds that just uh, dropped. Who uh, kills you in that? Uh, nobody. I live in that one. Hey, I should have told y'all that. You should have to watch it. Oh, that's just, well, that's, still now you got to watch that one. Yeah, you know, I got a film with uh, Jamie Fox coming out on Netflix soon. And tentatively, it's going to be called Power, but I think they're going to change the name because of the TV show. Yeah, so that makes sense. We just finished reshoots on that last month. Um, so that'll be dropping sometime. It was supposed to come out this year, but it's got pushed back because we've got to do reshoots. And I know they shoot a lot of movies in Louisiana. Is we that do. is we that do. yeah? yeah. We, I, I travel a good bit, you know, like uh, a lot of stuff in Georgia. It's yeah, not, Louisiana isn't as big as it used to be. A lot of stuff in Georgia. Um, yeah, I just finished uh, Purge season two. Oh yeah, it's coming to USA. Episode yeah. of that on TV. I just did. Um, Man, it's a good thing you got big. Yeah. That helps, doesn't it? It helps, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I get a lot of roles from that. Yeah. Uh, I wish I was a little taller. You know, I'm only six foot. So, if uh, like, like I got a call this week. They wanted me to fight Hugh Jackman in this other film. And then they were like, oh, damn, you're only six foot. Because Hugh's pretty tall. They uh-huh. want somebody taller than Hugh. You're like, you know, so you kill like, me and Logan, though. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. Again. Let's do it. <laughs> like, Logan was one of the biggest call, movies. Yeah, like, and, and my face was blasted everywhere with him. Like, that was, that, that was the picture of him stabbing me in the head. That, that, that was what went out all over the internet when the film came out. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, so it just got blasted everywhere. And I, you know, I woke up that morning. This is crazy because uh, as a kid, you know, like, you don't think, even when I've been doing films since 2006, 2007 now, mm-hmm. got sagged in 2009. And I've been in over, you know, almost close to 100 films and TV shows and some major blockbusters as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, with big credentials on them, so, which is cool. Um, but even as you do it now, like I always enjoy it. I'm always thankful. But I always still look at it as work, right? So I go there. I take it as a new day, new opportunity. Um, and I never, it never goes to my head. It never goes away. But, I, but, but, but at the same time, I, I take it as work. As soon as I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for the next project. I'm not. I'm not going. Oh, well, I got this coming. Up. Sure. I can just chill. I'm always, and I don't ever like look back on a project and like, oh yeah, well I was on this. I'm always looking for the next. What's thing. the next thing? Yeah. So I'm like, I'm super appreciative of uh, what you know. But oh, what my point was getting to is, I love film so much, but wrestling's still where my heart is, and I screw yeah. myself out of a lot of film work. It, wrestlers even tell me all the time they're like. Dude, why the hell are you still wrestling? Because you could be killing. Like, cause I make really good money film. I make good money wrestling, but I make great money in film. Because yeah, that movie money is completely different. And you don't have to bump. Right. Uh, so, well, I do have to bump sometimes. Like, I guess that's true. Kill. Yeah, I oh. guess that's true. I got I to bump more than everybody else because they're like, <laughs> "Oh, Luke's a wrestler. We're gonna have uh, Statham clothesline you off this table onto this concrete floor, and we we can't put a pad down because we need to get this shot." <laughs> but, but don't worry, you got this. Yeah, you're a wrestler. We did ten. 15 times look how big your back is anyway yeah. you're good you're good <laughs> but as long as those checks clear man it's all good but but I, I say like it screws me over wrestling because I, I'll take a wrestling booking right mm-hmm. and you'll book me for a show that's three months from now yeah you'll get my flight you'll get my hotel and you'll get my agreed pay mm-hmm. but then a movie will call me and say hey we need you for two weeks mm-hmm. and that's a lot of money yeah so and I'll go well, I can't do it this day because I fly out for this show, and they're like, uh, "It's it's a continuous shot, so you got to be all these." And I got to turn down You've an extremely lot of money to go wrestle and make 
less money. Yeah, money to pay that's going to pay a bill. Because you don't want to flake out on your bookings. Right, and, yeah. and I do it. I do it because, I mean, wrestling's my first... But my, you still love to wrestle. I still love wrestling, and it's my and it's even better now that I'm doing it with my son. Well, yeah, so, I mean, and I love that you're doing it on reality of wrestling too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you talk about guys that uh, should be having schools and putting on shows and stuff. I mean, Booker T is one of those guys. Phenomenal promotion, very well run. Yeah, um, you know they got Kevin Bernhardt who works backstage and he kills it. Like he's a big production part of the reality of wrestling. There's they do a, they have a really good product. There's a lot of good products out right now. I mean, I say a lot. There's like ten of them, mm-hmm. which is more than usual. Yeah. But across the states, there's a handful, and uh, you know, and, and my goal is like I think Wildcat is that place. So I, I'm I'm figure I'm trying to figure out how to get those big eyes on us because of what we've been around eight years. We on average we draw a bad show for us is six hundred people. I mean, that's way better than most shows. Right. Still. That's a bad show for us. That's like a yeah. low attendance show. And are you are you bringing a lot of people in? Not too many. I did for the Rumble because it was our eight-year anniversary. You know, we had we had Harlem Heat, which Booker had to get pulled for a show last minute. The week of the show, he got pulled, uh, which we couldn't control that. Yeah. You know? um, but we had uh, Carlito. We, we replaced him with Rhino, Stevie Richards. Yeah. Um, the Mexicans, Bestia, Say, 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 Damien, Say, 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 yeah. Black Taurus. Um psychosis so you know then a lot of the wildcat guys yeah so we we it's it's well look i mean that's the thing people got to remember wherever you guys are there's wrestling there so anybody that's in that louisiana area you got to support wildcat i mean i i shouldn't you know what if you're in the louisiana area you probably already are you already are we got to get i mean we just did a show with ring honor right ring honor came i did a little partnership with them and we wrestled the briscoes which was really good me and perry had a good me and peach had a really good match with the briscoes and ring honor well where can people find wildcat stuff outside of louisiana where can people find it online well we got the whole revolution rumble we just put up for free on youtube last week that's great so it's a three-hour show you can, you know, we, our YouTube is mostly old clips because we have a Vimeo where we're selling at four ninety nine a month of subscription. I'm kind of changing that over, and I want to put a lot more stuff on YouTube and make it more accessible. Yeah, for free. You just throw some ads so, on so, it or something. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what we just did is we just put out the whole Revolution Rumble, and that's the most updated thing we have on there. That's and great. It's a whole show. So. Uh, and where can people find? What's the YouTube go, site? Wildcat Sports. W I L D K A T. So Wildcat with a K. Wildcat Sports. Check Wildcat it out. Wildcat Sports Revolution Rumble. Yeah, the eight year anniversary, and, and you'll get a sample of our product. Yeah. You know, you'll see it, our biggest show ever. Like I said, we drew a little over two thousand two hundred people. And um, it, it was a really good show. Uh, the match the night on that card was PJ Hawks versus Stevie Richards, which is my son, which is cool. Yeah. They built up to a hardcore street fight. And for me as a dad, it's hard to watch because sure. I love wrestling. I know how much it hurts. Mm-hmm. But I lose the love and wrestling aspect from it, and I turn into a father, and I'm like, oh, yeah. oh. oh. Even though yeah. you know you've been through all yeah, of it, you know yeah, what yeah. it is, but and, yeah. And he feels like he's got a you know, do more than any, more. He always feels that like he has to do more than me. Because you ever, you ever think to yourself, like, if I come up to you in 1997, right? You're a kid, and I'm like, you know, one day your son is going to be wrestling Big Stevie Cool at your show. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's wild, isn't it? We we never thought it, right? Wild. And he's man. See, my kid's already done so much more than me already. Like last year, he spent the whole summer in England on the camps. This year, he spent the whole summer between Mexico and California. I was tagging, going down to Mexico and doing both. So he's going to be super well-versed. Dude, he's, he's already, he already is. I mean, he's and full, he's got he's the full, amateur wrestling yeah, background. A, a, that's the thing. That's he's, a monster. He's like watching a young Kurt Angle. He's that good. Is he? Are and you getting him big? Fully fluent in Spanish and English. Yeah, he's about he's about 180 pounds now. Yeah. But, you know, he spent his whole 
year he's a junior in college but he spent most of his life cutting weight because of amateur wrestling sure senior year he wrestled at 152 and um now he's he's probably about 180 but it, it, you know to put it on properly because i keep him away you know he's not gonna take he's straight edge he'll never take yeah. steroids and stuff like that Good. But like i don't want him to do any of that stuff anyway i want him to put the work in and put the time in and yeah. grow properly because you know that stuff burns out i i'm not against all that stuff uh-huh but I think it's it's got to be used in a proper way around injury, around things of that nature. You know, there's there's things that it can be helpful for, but just to take it recreational, I, I'm you know, especially when you're young, right? Right. And yeah. Well, that's the biggest thing for me is being young with yeah. it. You know, I could see if like you got a bad back or you got a, your knees jacked up and you're doing it to heal, but I don't believe in just taking it as a 21 year old to put some size on and because you're gonna. You yeah, know, it's not good. Yeah. Well, man, you're you're a super interesting guy, and I could easily we're gonna have to do this again. Yeah. Because there's lots of stuff we didn't even touch on. Yeah, definitely. You got a lot of story to tell, but I I hope everybody goes out there and uh, checks out Wildcat, supports it if you like it. You know, that's the beauty of putting it up on YouTube. As you go, you can see what the product is and uh, spread the word, man. Luke Hawks, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. And For you sure. Can check me out if y'all want to check me out. My social media is L U K E H A W X five zero four. Um, Luke Hawks 504 and everything Twitter, Instagram, Perfect. Facebook you know, check me out, give me a shout if you need anything, uh, check out our Wildcat stuff and if you like it, great if you don't, great too you know what I mean, Everybody yeah. to don't, each his own but. yeah, go keep it yourself but Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot man yeah, thank you Sam thanks for listening follow at NotSam on Twitter Instagram, Facebook and YouTube Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.